Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. Hopefully you're listening, learning, and making adjustments. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Howard Allen. Howard is the founder and owner of the Caribbean-inspired brand Maroon Sausage Company in Brooklyn, New York. Prior to creating Maroon, Howard spent almost 20 years as a graphic designer and brand strategist developing corporate branding and marketing campaigns. Howard and I discuss his path from growing up in the Midwest, going to school in Iowa, to his move to the East Coast, including his early influences from KISS and Parliament Funkadelic album covers. His professional journey includes graphic design, design management, teaching design management, and entrepreneurship, including his founding of the socially conscious Maroon Sausage Company. I enjoyed hearing how Howard utilized design management and brand research principles in prototyping and iterating on Maroon Sausage. I'd like to thank Howard for joining me on the podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. Howard, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Iowa Idea podcast. If, if you don't mind, as we get started for me and the listeners, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I am the owner of a company called Maroon Sausage, and we do Caribbean-inspired sausage and baking. Um, It's been going on since 2013. Uh, My background is not in food. It's actually in graphic design, but I got wrapped up into this uh, messing around with some friends, and it's been a great journey. Awesome. Thanks. Howard, so... uh you and I grew up in the same hometown. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your journey and getting interested that you, you first got your uh, BFA as you were kind of going into the graphic design space. What drew you to uh, design? <laughs> you know, I just wrote an article about this um, with uh, uh, one of my old bosses uh, from PwC. I actually got into graphic design, man, uh, at Welsh. In like the third grade. Yes, yes. Yeah, man. Uh, Casablanca Records had two groups, Kiss and Parliament Funkadelic. And they had the hottest album covers I'd ever seen in my entire life. And me and a couple of my buddies would just draw pictures based on those album covers because we didn't have music videos back then. Um, All you had was album art. And I love album art. And because of that, I just was always drawn to graphic design. So uh, when I left East, uh, I got a a scholarship uh, in fine arts to Clark College in Dubuque. All right. And and I was able to, you know, begin my journey uh, studying, studying art and design. And then you, uh, you went to Brooklyn and went to Pratt. Were you in, were you in New York before you went to Pratt or did Pratt bring you to New York? You know, I, (laughs) <laughs> I came to New York to work after my undergrad years and uh, decided to get a master's in something called design management in 2003. Oh, no, not, was it 2003? Yeah, it was 2003. 
And um, I did the master's program. And uh, after that, I actually started teaching at Pratt in like 2012 um, in their graduate graphic design program. So, you know, I came here and worked for a while and uh, decided I needed some more education in order to deal with people on an executive level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just went back to school and instead of getting an MBA, I got a, a master's degree in design management. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, I mean, both, both those words have meaning for me, but what does a design management program consist of? You know, it, it kind of varies from school to school. You know, um, we basically describe it as an MBA program for designers. It's a a program that enables you to look at what you've done as a creative person and put it into context uh, as if you were uh, a part of an executive team. So how do how do how do uh, business owners look at design? How do they understand the services that you provide? And what does that mean for organization overall, uh, if you're in a corporation or if you run in a studio? Yeah, so I feel like you're ahead of your time there because if that, you know, 2003, and now, now we're starting to see more, you know, kind of design getting a, a seat at the, you know, kind of at the executive table and, and the thought of design right. thinking getting, you know, baked in more into business models and, and human-centered design. So I, but I, I really appreciate the, the struggles that creative and, and design has in business. Is a, you know, my right. early career was a lot of, uh, we don't need to worry about design, right? We can pretty uh, up yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can totally identify with that. And, um, you know, uh, I tried to get my design career started in, in back in Rockford and uh, it just wasn't flying. So, you know, I just, I was at the Rockford Registered Star in the production department and decided that that's just not what I wanted to do with my career. So yeah. I just packed my stuff to New York. And, uh, and then uh, when you're at, you went through the program at Pratt and you also taught, how was, uh, how was the experience of teaching design? You know, I, I loved it. I, I, I didn't actually teach design, though. I actually taught design management uh, for the graphic design department uh, at the graduate okay. level. So, you know, kids would come in there and they want to start a design studio, right? Everybody in the class, all 25 students want to own their own design studio and they want to do luxury clients nobody wants to do geriatric nobody wants to do uh kids they all want to do high-end luxury stuff and i told them to look around man it's just 25 of you sitting in the same room and you all want to do the same exact thing for the same person so we're going to talk about first of all we're not designing in this class we're going to talk about business plans business structures business models how that applies to design and talk about you using your ideas instead of you designing other people's ideas. And, and, and you know, uh, I think it was a totally different approach from what they're used to in that class. Yeah, yeah, that's, I can, you know, everybody started out thinking they're going to get that, that glamorous gig right out of the gate too, right? Right, right out of the gate. You're about <laughs> yeah. to go work for uh, Gucci right now. <laughs> yep. They they heard there was a 22 year old that wanted to work for them and they they hadn't spent much on design yet so <laughs> so talk to me a little bit more about uh, maroon sausage because you know uh, outside of the pod you and I have exchanged 
ideas on on hot peppers and and even you've been helpful uh, sending me recipe, jerk recipes too. But uh, talk me through the the journey of of developing maroon sausage, and then I ultimately want to also talk about kind of the, the the social cause that's that's there as well. But can you tell me how you got started with maroon sausage? It was it was totally by by happenstance, man. Uh, it's a bittersweet story. Uh, a buddy of mine um, who recently passed because of COVID nineteen um, is the reason why I'm in this business. He's actually the food person who called me in 2012 and was like, "Yo, Howard, man, can you help me with some um, some some logo development work for this mobile mi- bi- food business that I wanted to start?" I was like, sure, man, we could, we could work on something. And uh, we started that process. And uh, when, I, when I work with people, when I do uh, logo development and, and uh, identity work, I need to understand all the business, you mm-hmm. know, where, where the customers are coming from, who they are, why you want to do what you do. I, I need to understand everything. So I ended up starting to go to like uh, farmer's markets grilling sausage with this guy. Um, just trying to understand what was going on. You know, I've been barbecuing since I was, you know, a kid. Um, so I, I knew how to cook, but he and I would go to the parks and, and, um, do these farmer's markets and we're selling sausage hand over fist. It was crazy. And I was like, this isn't even a special sausage. It's an off the shelf beef sausage. So I talked him into, I was like, why don't you develop your own sausage? Obviously, there's room here in the sausage, uh, you know, industry for um, innovation, right? And he agreed to that month after month. He wasn't doing it. He was not developing the sausage. And I'm like, yo, what are you, what's, what's holding you up? And ultimately, he decided to, to um, go back into the cafe business with his wife, who was big. Um, my man Lloyd was great, you know, uh, Lloyd Porter. Uh, if, you, if you go online and look him up, you're going to see all sorts of articles and stuff about him because he was like Mr. Hooper from Sesame Street or something, you know, with his, his innovative ideas for his, his cafe, and his acting career. He was just an all-around great guy. We really got along. And that's how I got into the food business. I basically said, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it because the idea is just too good to sit there. So, you know, I gave him a year and I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. So I bought a stand mixer on uh, New Year's, you know, when there's a sale at Macy's. Yeah. It was 99 bucks. And I got all the sausage attachments and I just started making sausage every Saturday for four months straight. Every Saturday morning. We're going to make sausage from scratch. Uh, and my wife thought I was nuts. Um, she, you know, I'd just gotten a new job as like a design manager at a, a company here in New York. So, you know, I didn't need to do this. You know, um, it, it, was, it was insane. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, and, I, and, also, and also I was teaching it at Pratt like once a week. So she's like, what in the world are you doing? You, don't you have enough to do? I was like, no, there's something about this that makes sense. So I started doing the numbers, started looking at the market. And in April, I had a workable prototype 
what we would call a prototype of the design world. Absolutely. Yep. Love it. I had something that you can eat, right? Yeah. Um, so I started sharing it with people, man. And uh, they're like, how, how do we buy this from you? I'm like, buy? <laughs> buy? <laughs> I never even took it that far. I came up with this concept um, with the maroon people and jerk chicken. And, you know, the maroon people um, are from Ghana. They were, you know, kidnapped and brought into slavery by the Spanish and taken to Jamaica. Well, the Spanish didn't keep the island very long. That fell apart, and the British came to take that island over. Um, the Maroon people escaped into the mountains in, in Jamaica and developed what we know today as jerk. And the funny thing about that, that uh, situation is the British people could not get the Maroons out of the mountains. So they, they, they signed a treaty with them to allow them to stay in the mountains and keep that land. And the, and the British said that we won't try to enslave you, but you cannot free any people down uh, on the coast. So they are still up in the mountains of Jamaica in their own space with their own cultures, totally separate from the rest of Jamaica with their own language, as though they've never left Ghana. It's a, it's a unique situation. So I wanted to put the brand around this circular story. Uh, this gets to the social responsibility piece of the company. Um, the Maroon people fought for their freedom. And we want to use the money that we make from this sausage brand to free people. So we want to uh, invest in organizations that are dedicated to fighting uh, for the freedom of people uh, and people who are caught up in the human trafficking system. Um, so we've identified a few uh, not-for-profit organizations that focus on the issue of uh, human trafficking at a global scale, right? Uh, right? They don't care if you're in Bangladesh or if you're in Toronto, Canada. It's happening in several ways all around the world, mostly impacting women and children. Um, but I thought that that made a really great brand story. Yeah, there's a lot to un unpack there. So if you it, it, feel free to guide me too, if, but uh, lots of different areas, because like you said, from, I love from a design, I love from kind of the, the, the business innovation, the, uh, the iteration, the prototyping, uh, and, and then uh, on the, the, the social front too, and then also the, a brand story. Maybe we'll go just with, with the brand story, because I think listening to you, I think one of the big things that I talk about uh, for my consulting job, right, for my, my design studio is I really look at customer understanding, organizational design, and, and basically brand experience and how you bring those together because that, that narrative and story, meeting, meeting the needs in the market or more, like you said, meeting the unmet needs in the market, like a, an innovative sausage, Right. And then how do you, how do you actually design your, your organization to deliver? Because people don't buy org charts, right? They, they buy something of <laughs> value. And, right, right. And, then, and then what's that experience in, in, you know, like kind of in the business model canvas type of world, what's, what's that compelling value prop? And then how can you keep that promise? So I love, I love the narrative and, and uh, what I especially love about what, what you were talking about too is, is the depth and power of that narrative, right? And where the, the thinking 
that went into that. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of interested in the prototyping because I've, I too have experimented with making uh, sausage at home with a KitchenAid mixer and <laughs> you know, trying to get the, uh, trying to get the blend right. So the bind is, is good when you grill it. Um, right. Right. And then I drifted off to more uh, smoking of meats because uh, for me, uh, sometimes <laughs> sausage making for me personally was kind of infuriating. Like, uh, it's like, it, it's like I hear my friends talk about golf. It's like they'll have 17 bad holes, but one good hole will keep, keep them coming back. And it's like I could, I could see where I was close on some stuff, but I, my focus was uh, more on the, uh, the Polish and Ukrainian front. I don't, have you had Ukrainian sausage? You know, I've never had Ukrainian sausage. I've obviously had Polish sausage. And I think the sausage game, um, there's so many different varieties of sausage. And we're so limited to what we get in the store. And it's kind of infuriating for me because it limits our ability to appreciate what has been created, right? So, you know, there's, there's other, I think every country in, in Europe, East and West, has some variety of sausage, right? You know, if you're Scandinavian, they have their sausages. You know, if you go to Eastern Europe, they have their sausages. You, but, but look at what we get in the store. And, and, and that's what I'm also fighting against is the limitation that, you know, stores put on us in terms of product offerings. Right. Yeah, so then with, uh, with jerk, and, and it's a chicken sausage, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's you, a chicken so you're kind of you're kind of uh, com- combining the, the the general notion of sausage and then bringing in uh, Jamaican flavors that we might not have experienced as a sausage. Uh, what was what was your insight there that brought you to brought you to that combo? <clears throat> well, uh, my wife is Jamaican, and um, in, in Brooklyn, New York, there's Jamaican restaurants generally everywhere. Like, yeah. I think there are three in walking distance of my house. I actually just left the Jamaican restaurant trying to get some breakfast, but they were clo- closed because of COVID. And yeah. I, that was kind of, it was kind of infuriating. I was really looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's just really a part of the culture here in Brooklyn. Um, so, you know, that summer that I tried to do this, I went to, let's say, a, a large variety of, Jamaican restaurants to A, find out who had the best jerk chicken in Brooklyn and B, how did I want to apply those things that I really liked about jerk chicken to a sausage. So once I did that research, I narrowed it down to a few things and looked at, you know, the general flavor profile for uh, jerk and uh, got the ingredients. And then I had to kind of flip things around because it's actually a wet recipe and I needed this to be dry. So I had to figure out how to turn, you know, the wet ingredients and the raw ingredients to dried ingredients that would easily be uh, put into a sausage blend. And uh, that, that took some time. Um, I was doing this, I'm doing this with my own money so I could do it at my own pace. Yeah, and find my own resources, and uh, it's actually easier that way than when you're dealing with someone else's money and what they want you to do. I had that luxury, um, 
somehow, I don't know how, it was kind of miraculous. I was able to just kind of do the math and put this, this recipe together and it just kind of, kind of clicked. And all we had to do was d- decide really how hot we wanted it to be. Just how high did we want to go on that spice, yeah. you know, that, that Scoville scale. Right. And when we started, boy, it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, since then we've uh, gone from a fresh sausage to a smoked sausage um, and we've brought the heat down significantly uh, for the mild. And the spicy isn't as, as hot as it was when I first started either, but it's still, I think, a great representation of uh, what you would experience if you were to go to Jamaica right now and get some jerk on the side of the road. Howard, that's great. Now, I'm, 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 because, you know, like, like from a design perspective, what, you know, one of the things I love in my life is sausage, and now there is design. And so looking at, looking at this Venn diagram of, of what you're doing. Uh, one of the, so a couple things about your, your research, right? Cause I, I think those, those are so critical in, in, in design. So a couple things, one is going to the Jamaican restaurants and I, I, my, my mental model too, is you know, you're doing, re- okay. Like almost these modular elements, right? Analyzing and breaking these things down. What's there, what, what then, from almost like from a genre perspective represents jerk. And then, you know, in this context, how do I carry that through? But I, I, I wish I actually, I wish I could have been there on your, your research journeys, just <laughs> going to, go to the restaurants. And another we can research, recreate, we could recreate that part. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it uh, on the, and then also you mentioned early when uh, it sounds like some customer insight was, even just going to farmers markets, like observing people, right, seeing people in context, and seeing what was going on there. Uh, did, as you were as you were modifying your your recipes, were you were you taking your sausage to to farmers markets and testing? What I was able to do uh, for uh, market research, <clears throat> basically, was I, I got into this really really hot. Uh, foodie event that happens every Saturday and Sunday called Smorgasburg. And, you know, it's, 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 it's an event that I, I you know, there might be literally 25, 30,000 people every Saturday and Sunday come in to eat unique dishes from chefs and from creative people um, like myself. So, they did some numbers on this event. They said it's actually harder to get into Smorgasburg as a vendor than it is to get into Harvard. It, it was that competitive. And you actually have to pay to get it to, to participate. You know, you got a, a weekly fee and it was that competitive. But I got in with this sausage. And um, when you're in that environment, you got thousands of people walking around. People are going to try your stuff give you uh, their, their point of view, tell you stories about their, their connection to Jamaica or the Caribbean. And hopefully you're listening and you're learning and you're making adjustments. And, and that's what I used it for. Um, when I, my, my first summer, we, we didn't do so great in terms of sales, but, but I learned so much um, that it, it was priceless in terms of research goes. My second year, we killed it. You know, we became an anchor of, of the event and uh, we got prime space and we would be busy all day. And uh, we created a vibe. 
And that's what I wanted for, for the brand was it's an experience. You know, you're going to come to the booth. You're going to hear the dub and the reggae music. You're going to be smelling that smoke. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we yeah. have like different jars of pepper sausage you can try. And you get, you get there, you got like a sausage and we got this custom topping or pineapple mango relish that we put on top of it. And it was an experience. I mean, people became fans of the brand because of that experience. And um, we don't do smorg anymore, but we showed up last year for Father's Day and people came to our booth. We're like, where have you been? We've been, we've been, <laughs> we've been looking for this um, experience and you just kind of vanished. And, you know, what we were really doing was trying to switch our footing to packaging the, that experience and putting it in the stores. That's great. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, uh, either that insight or that pivot that you had from year one to year two? Well, what you, what you realize um, very quickly is that the, you know, Mother Nature is, is, is not consistent, which has a direct correlation to your money. Um, if, the, if it's too hot, nobody wants spicy sausage. If it's too cold, nobody's going to come out. Um, if it's raining, nobody's going to come out. You don't want that invent sort of space to be the business itself. Yeah. So you have to create something where people can experience the product um, at their own leisure um, and at a price point that they can feel comfortable paying. So you, you put it in the store and you use the events as a marketing tool. And that's how we set things up. You know, COVID kind of blew that plan out of the water, but we love to do events. We had a whole schedule planned where we were going to do a dub, uh, live dub reggae series with food at a club in Brooklyn. Started, it was supposed to start in April. And each, each week, no, yeah, each week you would get a different guest chef who would use my sausage and do their own creation. And you'd have live music. And uh, we'd be promoting the brand being in stores. Oh, man, that sounds fantastic. I'm sorry to hear that that didn't happen. Hopefully that can get renewed for, for next year. Yeah, we got to bring it back. I mean, it's just too sweet, too good. Now you can't throw the good ideas away. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I like, I get more from the, the business and design perspective too, that you're kind of looking at, at these constraints and reality. And then also just the way you reframe that, okay, it's, it's the market the the marketing is going to happen at the farmers market right it's it's it ha, it's job it has a different job and the big the big job for controlled sales is actually packaging and distribution right right absolutely i i think i was the one of the very few people there who was not a chef my aspiration was not to have a restaurant or a food truck um, yeah. my aspiration was to develop products and um you know, I, I, I came out of that with the sausage. I came out of it with a, a dried rub seasoning that we could sell. And I, the, 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 the topping that we created, people were eating it with a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, so they were like, you have to bottle that. So they, they want the topping. They want the rub for when they want to do things like cook fish or chicken on their own. Yep. And they want the sausage. And then we put the spices on a, a bacon. Like uh, we put it on some pork belly and put it put the pork belly on a bun with some pickles. Yeah. Man, people were killing it. 
And it was just because of this one simple idea that you could just flip in different ways. But you, when you're testing it on people, you can really see, right, what they gravitate towards and what they want. Yeah, uh, a quick bacon story for you, because that's, uh, uh, like when I said, move, moving away from, from sausage, but I, I do, uh, do make my own bacon on a, a fairly regular basis. And uh, in, in the name of experimentation, one time I was going to see if I could get like a Chipotle kind of spicy uh, yeah, yeah. by uh, smoking jalapenos at the same time that I uh, was, was uh, smoking the cured pork belly. And I, I opened, I opened the smoker and it was like an aerosol attack on myself. <laughs> all those hot peppers. And it turns out it, it, the, the bacon really didn't take on any spicy flavor that really? much from it. But, really? uh, it, you know, le- lesson learned was, uh, approach a smoker differently when I'm, when I'm smoking hot peppers. What kind of, now, now, now just to ask you a yeah. few question, what sort of wood are you smoking with? Uh, so one is, um, one version of bacon. The, the main one I do for bacon is, uh, it's, it's a maple cured. Uh, so I actually smoke with maple wood as well for that, just to kind of keep the maple theme on it. Uh, and then last weekend I just, so I've been testing actually just smoking on the, uh, the old school, uh, Weber kettle and, I've been I've been trying different modifications and one thing I was working on uh smoked um some ribs and some uh and pork shoulder uh and just more traditional kind of barbecue but that one I was using uh hickory for that. Nice. Nice, nice. Uh but Very- I've been tempted to order some uh post oak from Texas to do brisket because uh Franklin barbecue claims that that the, one of the big things is, is the wood itself. Right. Yeah. So so mine are all experiments. Uh, Not that I I have the answers, but. (laughs) Tasty experiments. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Hey, you remember Noah Butler from East? Yeah. You're ahead of you. He was, and uh, you know, he did a lot of art stuff at, at East, but he, He's back in Iowa. So he runs a microbiology research lab, but he and I, uh, we keep experimenting on uh, like jerk-inspired chicken for tailgates oh, okay. uh, at Iowa football games. And the funny thing is everybody in our tailgate group knows what's going on. So, so some are like, that, that's great. Some are f- afraid of like the, the heat level, right? And uh, we we usually do more like jerk seasoning, a little bit of a marinade, and then we'll we'll chop up fresh hot peppers and let that those sit in the marinade with the chicken overnight. And then when we grill it, but one of my favorite things is there's a tendency at Iowa tailgates that peop, there are people that roam around that uh, just kind of walk into a tailgate, grab some food, and and move on, right? And they're not they're not part of your tailgate crowd. Right. <laughs> we, had, we had two guys come in and they just grabbed some chicken sandwiches, not realizing how spicy they were. And both of them started crying and uh, everybody had a good laugh that we didn't think they were going to be <laughs> <laughs> coming back to our tailgate. <laughs> you got to be careful what you snatch up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, with uh, one of the things I was going to ask you too, with more of almost like the the management design management and business side of things too, have you heard the 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 phrase or acronym Nahito? No. Uh, yeah, I, I picked this one up from um, 
they were pragmatic marketing. I think they're called pragmatic Institute, but it stands for nothing interesting happens in the office. And just that you got to get outside of your office to go see right. what, what people are really doing, what's the context. And so that's why I just, I just loved your, your farmer's market stories and, and Smorgasburg, you know, as a way to, Hey, what are, what are, what are people really doing? How are they reacting? You know, what questions do they have before they, before they approach a product? Right. And then how do they experience it? You know, that's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, while I was doing all of this, I was design. I had to build a design team at a commercial real estate company, and uh, when, when I when I got there, their marketing materials did not reflect, or well, they weren't a great representation of where we live. We live in New York City. This office is in Manhattan, and you got realtors taking pictures of you know iconic buildings with their cell phones. I was like, this just can't, this just does not work. Yeah. So I put, I put together a design team and I was like, everybody on this team has to understand how to use a camera because you're going to go out in the street and I want you to take photos of not only the buildings, but the neighborhoods where these things reside. We want to show what you get. You spend most of your day at work. If you're talking to an investment banker who wants to get a space, show him the neighborhood where he's going to be spending time. And then let him know what other bankers are in his neighborhood so he will see that he's amongst his own people, his own you know, universe exists right here. And this is what his, the experience is going to be. We're going to put it in an email, right? Make it really easy for people to access. And as sales jump off the charts, people were leasing stuff like crazy. Um, and it was totally because we just changed the context that in which we would show property. Yeah. So it was, it was a total win. Yeah, and that, and uh, I've seen so many times on brand projects that I've, I've been on from different perspectives, the, the power of good photography. Uh, yes. Yeah. There's so, there, there's, there's so much of like a, I don't know, an aesthetic, emotional and information payload that a good photo can deliver in, right. In an easy, elegant way. And I, I think the hard part is, um, most, I don't, I don't think most people recognize when they're looking at good photography, but they recognize when they're looking at bad photography. Yeah. Yeah. It's a feeling. It's a feeling. Yeah. And I've seen it for, you know, doing marketing for, uh, colleges, like colleges that skimp on photography for the, for the campus experience. Uh, seen it too with the power of also good photography of real people you know, to convey authenticity where, um, right. you know, rather than, than just grabbing almost clip art images, like get out, take pictures of your customers, take pictures of people enjoying your product, but show real authentic people doing it and how much that can, can help drive a positive feeling for the brand. Right. Right. Absolutely. I totally agree. So you've in, in, in your, your design and business career, uh, so you've, you've been a student, you've been a teacher, uh, you were talking about, you know, even uh, a former boss. Uh, one of the big things I like uh, talking to folks about on the podcast is uh, kind of advice and good advice they've received and, and, and good advice uh, or advice that they, they give to others. And uh, from your person, and, and then this all is rooted in Austin Cleon's Steal Like an Artist. He says, when you're given advice, you're talking to a younger version of yourself. 
But <laughs> what's, uh, what's some of the best advice you've had uh, in your career? <clears throat> wow. Um, I found it very challenging to find uh, like role models, people who, who will sit down with you and give you advice because the environment is so uh, competitive. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I've had a couple good bosses in my career. I got, I got lucky uh, here and there. And um, but you got to believe in your creative. You got to believe in your creative and you have to be articulate enough to, and brave enough to, to express why you did what you did, right? Um, I, I know they probably tell you the same thing when you're a student, but, you know, when you start looking at people professionally, um, the people who really win are the people who can really talk about their work well. You know, if, if, you, can, if you can articulate yourself and, and not only verbally but written, you will be uh, successful in this business because that's where most designers struggle. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, digging in on that a little bit. One of the things I'm here is that you're able to explain the why, why you made these choices um, rather than what. I, I think where I've seen young designers really struggle and, and actually I'm kind of riffing on your, uh, your real estate experience, but it's like, can you imagine a realtor showing you a place and they just, and see here, here's the, the front door and this is what walks you in and this is a hallway Right. And we put right. walls, but a lot of designers will like, they, they start describing the obvious when you're looking at it rather than uh, here, here's the guiding principles that we're using. Here's the why, here's the emotion we're trying to convey. Or uh, when we did our research, uh, we saw some of the biggest struggles that customers have are blank or, you know, we've been working on a misconception that customers are struggling with this. Turns out they're actually struggling with this. So, so that's why we made these choices. And I think, I feel like young designers, Actually, it's not just young designer, but I, I think you're right. What really separates good designers as far as selling their work is their ability to talk about why they made these choices and, being, and then also being able to root it in some form of customer evidence. Right. You know, I've seen design that sucks, <laughs> from my personal opinion, but the person is, they, they know how to sell. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and the relationship really works. The chemistry between yourself and the uh, client has to be good. Not all clients are good clients. Some, <laughs> some people are not good clients, and you probably should just cut them loose, you know, yeah. cut your losses. But um, I, I explain, you know, Maroon Sausage as the biggest brand project I've ever had in life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, that's all it really is. It's a branding project. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. I, because uh, my, from my mental model, I agree with you, but I want, I want to make sure that, you know, as, as, you know, thinking of it as a branding project, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, um, in the design industry, if you start out designing, uh, corporate design stuff and you want to pivot and do fashion people aren't going to let you do that even though you might be quite capable when you go and apply for a job they're going to ask you what your experience was they're going to try to keep pushing you 
where your experience was, right? So they're, they're not going to make it easy for you to switch from uh, entertainment to um, annual reports. They're just, it's just the funny way that the business works. Um, so me going from, you know, corporate design and identity work and, and marketing branding, no one was going to allow me to do food. They just weren't going to allow me to go to packaging. So in order for me to do that, I had to do it on my own. So I created my own company, my own brand, and with my own money. Um, oftentimes, most times, your money's not involved in the projects you do. And if you are, you get reimbursed. Yep. This, is, this is straight up like, if you believe that this, this works, this idea is worth having, then put your money where your mouth is. You know, um, sh show me. And I, and I think that, you know, this is a, a great model uh, to go back into the classroom with and be like, this is what I did. And this is how I did it. And these were the results. Yeah, I love it because I, I think I think you could take uh, your business and just walk it through almost a, a classic like kind of management and design case study, right? Like, here's what I did, saw an opportunity, but didn't jump right to the end, right? Started exploring, started prototyping, uh, right. and you know, getting customer feedback, and then also being willing to kind of pivot and then understand what things are, what things are you know like a a lot like principle in what you're doing. And then what are some other things that you can play with to, to still evoke that, that strong brand feeling. I love the combination of uh, music with it as well. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't aware of that, but now the more that you talk about, it, I love, uh, you know, there, there's another powerful, you know, kind of emotional cue that you can give to a brand. Yes, absolutely. If you can tie a product to, a cultural nuance like music, um, it just makes it that much more powerful. So uh, do you have, without giving any trade secrets, uh, look, um, I know COVID, we said that's kind of a curveball, but you're, you said you're starting to look at uh, even extensions beyond the sausage of kind of the, the, the mango pineapple relish uh, and dry rub seeds. Are you, are you starting to explore those more for sales and distribution? We are looking at, um, producing the, the topping, the pineapple mango stuff, uh, yeah. in, in, in mass and, and offering that as a, as a package online. So you get the sausage, you get the topping, um, and try to, try to offer as much of that experience that we created here in Brooklyn uh, for you to, for you to purchase. So if you were to get this box, let's say for father's day next year, it would have, you know, maybe five pounds of sausage, the mango pineapple topping, and probably a way for you to access the soundtrack. So you could be in your backyard listening to the music yeah, and uh, you know, experiencing the smell and um, having the pineapple mango stuff right there with you as if you were here in Brooklyn with me, you know. Um, that's, I think, a, a brilliant package to sell. And maybe, you know, we have T-shirts that we had to wear in the booth. People yeah. want to buy the shirts. Well, you can just make those shirts available to people. It's, it's just a package. You know, it's two, two things there. One, I was going to ask you if, you if Maroon has like a Spotify playlist. 
first. Yeah, yeah. We, my wife did that for one of her non-profit organizations, and it hit so hard. I mean, people were totally into um, these, this, this playlist that they created. Hers was women-focused, and, um, you know, I could, people would come to the booth just to kind of vibe with the music and kind of sway along with the music. So we had specific, a specific DJ who would create um, podcasts and I would just download them every week. And he would just keep it flowing every week. So, you know, the kids who were working for me were like, we cannot, we do not see dub reggae music the same way. And I don't know if I'll ever listen to it again because of listening to it the whole summer in this way, it's just a lot. Ja Rastafari takes on a whole different meaning now. <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah, and the shirts. Are, uh, so are you going to start selling some of the shirts? Yeah, man. I, I think what I want to do, and this is where we can get really creative, is, you know, because I have an arts background, I know uh, artists, and if we wanted to do a limited edition shirt, how would we go about it? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and how would we approach, you know, the artwork and the symbolism uh, that the brand sort of has sort of has like associated with it. Like, how do we want to approach it? So one of my guys is a, a, actually a famous street artist. He's anonymous, so I can't tell you who he is. But um, he and I were talking just two weeks ago about doing some shirts and maybe getting a small space and just creating, you know, an experience with a DJ food, art on the walls. And when you go in there, it's just a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. But as, as I'm, I'm kind of deconstructing a lot of things that you've been talking about and with your business also, you know, that I think it might've been hard early. Like, you know, like, so it's your money because it might've even been hard to get people to believe in an immersive sausage experience. Right. Like yeah, you, right. <laughs> the way you're talking about this, but as you're talking about it, I mean, I, I want to be there in Brooklyn with you, <laughs> grilling those sausages, listening to music, testing the different spice levels. Oh, that's awesome. Do you have a favorite hot pepper? <laughs> you know, I've been working primarily with the Scotch bonnet uh, yeah. pepper um, because that's, that's what we, we have in the sausage. Um, <clears throat> you know, Pepper Palm, and he comes with this crazy stuff. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not a glutton for punishment or anything. Yeah. But you know the the what what I will tell you is the the one thing that I love about the Scotch Bonnet is the fruitiness uh, that it has. You know, a habanero, which is like its cousin, is a bit more acidic. Right. Um, you know, so th- those little subtleties when you can pull out those sorts of qualities, you have a great experience. When it's just like Carolina Reaper hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to be careful with you just overpowering all the other flavors that you, you're trying to share with the person. You know, I, uh, last year I, uh, you know, I, I try to grow a variety of different hot peppers and some are just like experiments, see what happens. But uh, I was growing some Trinidad scorpions and oh. when, and, and actually when they mature, it is nature telling you just stay away. 
Right. It it, oh. <laughs> right, it it looks like something from like Predator or Alien that you, you yeah. just don't touch. And then, yeah, then you eat it and you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's good, good scotch bonnets. And uh, actually last year, the plant itself didn't do so well, but uh, some uh, chocolate boots. Uh, oh. So, Chocolate ghost pepper that and and it has a little bit more of a, a mellowness to it and it's not as as much on the acidic where you can actually enjoy some of the flavor. But I didn't find any of those this year, so you know the, the somehow I don't know how this works. I, I, it's a blessing, right? Yeah. The way that the spice works in a sausage is you know, when you have the first you know two three bites, you're really not feeling the heat the heat is a gradual thing so by the time you get to the end you feel the heat but if you really are allowed to you know taste the thyme and the allspice and the cinnamon and all these other notes before you start you know sweating a little bit yeah just a little bit um so you know i I think that's the beauty of of how that all came together I, i don't know how it did that but that's the way that it works so Howard, were there any uh, topics that we didn't cover that you you thought we we should before we jumped on the the call today? You know, I didn't know how this call was going to go. I was just going to roll with it, man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of like a you know, I I got a couple of these things coming up, and I I really don't know much about this. I just like to have good conversations. So. Howard, it was an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on the the podcast, and uh, we'll. Uh, Obviously, I'll have I'll have a link in the description for for Maroon Sausage, but I'll have to keep an eye on uh, your expansion, your sausage empire. <laughs> Abe, Abe Froman, you're the Abe Froman of Brooklyn. Yeah, the Abe Froman of Brooklyn, man, that's right. Sausage King. <laughs> well, keep an eye on this site because you know a friend of mine is a photographer. We're talking about shooting some new footage for the site, so we're going to update it soon. Um, I'm doing home delivery now, so if you're in the New York City area, yeah, you can put in an order and I can bring it to your house, which is crazy. But that's where we are in the business. Yeah, are you are you looking at any any distribution beyond uh, local as as far as planned? <clears throat> you know, I was um, trying to work with this uh, refrigerated company that also does something called uh, Pack and Pick, a uh, Pick and Pack. I'm sorry. Uh, so I could have their the products stored there, but they would also fulfill any online orders that I got. And I've been calling and I've been emailing it and uh, nobody's responding. So it, 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 it kind of makes me feel as though something has happened to that business. I'm not yeah. quite sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking for a partner that can do the, the pick and pack for me and then we can ship to places outside of New York City. Like Iowa City? <laughs> You know, um, just just asking for a friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a I have a son um, that lives in uh, Cedar Rapids. Okay, so maybe some 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 sausage will hit Iowa sometime soon. <laughs> right on. Well, if you're if you're ever out here, please let me know, and we'll uh, we'll run some design experiments on the grill. <laughs> Absolutely, man. For sure, we can do that. All right, Howard, you take care. All right, blessings, man. Take Thanks. care.